cancer, one of the most lethal diseases of the 21st century. It continues to be a challenge to the medical community. Conventional treatments like chemotherapy and radiation can be effective, but they often come with many side effects. Now, imagine tiny robots, meticulously designed, capable of targeting cancer cells at their very core, the DNA. These nanobots offer a level of precision in treatment that traditional methods can't match, potentially reducing the need for harsh chemotherapy and radiation. This is not a dream, but it is true due to companies like DNA Nanobots. Furthermore, these small robots or nanobots are generally biocompatible as DNA is a fundamental component of all living organisms and this compatibility significantly reduces the likelihood of adverse immune reactions, which is a common challenge with many cancer therapies. But the potential of DNA nanobots extends far beyond the treatment of cancer. They could be engineered to detect specific molecules or markers associated with various diseases, leading to earlier and more accurate diagnosis. Today, we talk to Chris Lucas, the Chief Science Officer of DNA Nanobots. With a deep-seated background in technology commercialization and DNA nanotechnology, Chris is not just riding the wave of innovation, he's helping to create it. Join us today on Delta as we dive into exciting and rapidly evolving world of DNA nanobots. All right, welcome, Chris. I'm so happy to have you here today. Yeah, thank you so much, Ruben. Good evening. And, and first, thanks so much for the invite and having me on the podcast this evening. Um, very, very excited to be here. And uh, also congratulations to you for your uh, on your success to date. Thank you so much. Podcast. Appreciate it. So Chris, like this DNA nanobots, like what is it? Like how do they work? Can you explain for our listeners, like what is this technology, how it works, where is it used? Absolutely, I've been happy to. So yeah, DNA nanobots are programmable, custom designed nano devices uh, built entirely out of DNA and they can be tailored for biomedical applications, including targeted therapeutics, uh, as, as well as nucleic acid biosensing diagnostics. Um, it's a targeted delivery, uh, drug delivery platform technology uh, that is both drug payload and disease agnostic. And so, and we use a variety of different uh, antibody molecules, aptamers for targeted specificity uh, to, to tumor-associated antigens, and then we're payload agnostic as well. We can we can add small molecules. Um, we can we can add uh, oligonucleotides um, and, and and peptides onto our device as well for targeted uh, delivery. Gotcha. So for, for, for our listeners who don't have like a background in oncology and mm -hmm. like um, uh, the cell basics, uh, can we define like what is the target? What the, what do you mean by antigen? What do you oh, define, sure. yeah. what do you mean by like you can target specific cells? Like what does that mean? Right, absolutely. So, so what I mean by antigen is a specific protein molecule uh, that's that's expressed on the surface of target cells that we're trying to deliver medicine to. Um, and and for example, we're you know interested in 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 monitoring uh, target uh, molecules that are elevated on the surface of tumor cells uh, that that are not uh, that, that 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 are not expressed uh, on on normal he healthy cells and tissue. And so, for example, uh, we're, 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 we're targeting a, a certain molecule that's elevated on, on uh, AML cells um, associated with poor prognosis in patients and so forth. And we, we use antibody molecules 
that are raised uh, to specifically bind to uh, the, those target antigens uh, uh, on the surface of target cells. And so that's how we achieve targeted specificity. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, so for those people also, like, they don't know how to, like, we treat patient when all this, or people when they think about cancer, like, they always think about, like, untreatable disease. Like, well, there are some cancers that are still untreatable, but we have lots of new treatment and new drugs. And sure. um, what are you trying to do is, like, we're, we, actually what, like, scientists are trying to do is, like, to cancer cell is very different from, uh, the normal cells, and they are different by what they express on their surface. Uh, yep. If we find that specific target, that specific clock that we can attack, so we can attack specifically cancer cells, and we can spare the normal cells. So in the back, in the back in the days, like 20, 30 yep. years ago, we had only chemotherapy. So chemotherapy, yep. it's a group of drugs that kill every single cell, especially the cells that divide very rapidly, which is like yep. cancer cells. But now we are becoming more toward like, or we are going toward precision medicine where we can specifically look at the cancer and say, well, like what type of antigen, what type of protein is there on the cancer and what type of drug I can give that can kill the cancer cells and not the normal cells, but like beyond cancer, where do you see the application of this? For, for non-cancerous cells? Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly. It, it, for non-cancerous cells, our, our platform, not only do we have a, a program in precision medicine where we deliver targeted chemotherapy uh, to AML cells, um, but we also have vaccine uh, developmental programs um, as, as well, uh, where we can deliver a concentrated payload of antigenic peptides and adjuvant oh, wow. molecules, uh, specifically to antigen presenting cells, which ultimately help the, the vaccine work in, 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 in the best way it can. Uh, and so, but perhaps one of the most, most things we're excited about, one of the, one of the biggest directions that we're beginning to undertake is in the realm of non-viral gene delivery. And so with our platform technology, what we're able to do is essentially use uh, a gene that we're trying to deliver to, to disease cells um, with abnormalities uh, in, in a targetable manner. Not only that, but also add editing molecules uh, that will not only you know, take our, our, our gene, our DNA genobot, if you will, uh, directly to the nucleus for incorporation, um, but will also edit out specifically mutated uh, genes uh, that we're trying to swap out with, with, with healthy genes to restore you know, normal cell function. And so we're, we're so excited about the non-viral gene delivery um, as well. Wow, that's that's very interesting. So like yeah. beyond delivering a specific drug to a cancer cell, for example, I can find a bone marrow cell and deliver the gene of normal hemoglobin instead of like sickle cell hemoglobin. Is that? That's exactly right. Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. So with our, you know, as, as, as you well know, there's, there's, I'm sure, uh, Rupin, there are major limitations to viral gene therapy associated with the AAV mm -hmm. vector. With respect, with respect to expense, you know, massive expenses are associated um, with, with with generating the viral uh, the viral vectors. Um, there's packaging issues with the genes that target the, the genes that, that are be targeted to 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 cells. Um, and I think you can only achieve about four to five uh, kilobases and kilobase pairs in terms of your 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 length of of delivery platform. It, with our technology, um, there there is virtually no limit to the size uh, that we're able to uh, form a DNA genobot with. Um, you know, we're looking at you know, rare disease and all the way up to dystrophin uh, for rare muscular dystrophies as well. That is very cool. 
talking yeah. about cool, like how did you end up in this cool space? Like, what's the story? Why did you cho choose to start this? Sure. So, uh, gosh, you know, it was probably about, um, oh, it's about 10 years ago or so where, where, where I had the chance as a biomedical scientist uh, to do a postdoctoral fellowship with a mechanical engineer um, who was a biomolecular engineer working on a platform technology, uh, DNA origami uh, nanotechnology in particular. And <clears throat> he came out of a lab in, in Germany uh, that, that, that did a lot of the fundamental studies and, and really essentially carved out exact methods for the field in order to how to design these guys uh, with CAD-assisted software um, it, uh, and, and to build them in an effective manner and ultimately to purify them. But he was interested in applications. And, and so me with the biomedical science background, you know, I came into the lab and, and, and really helped him get started the cell culture program, um, not only looking at, sig sig uh, at, at signaling molecules with the immune cells with the platform technology, but also leading towards uh, targeted drug delivery devices. And, and so that was about 10 years ago or so, but we knew that if we ever truly wanted to make an impact and drive the technology out of the university uh, to the clinic and, 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 and really be involved with the entire process, then we would have to form a startup company. Um, you know, the other option for us was to outlicense the technology. Uh, intellectual property um, what was something that 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 we struggled with getting off the ground, but finally we were able to file you know, a series of patent applications um, related to our targeted drug delivery program, uh, related to our vaccine program. Diagnostic biosensing is another thing uh, that 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 another capability of our platform technology, and 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 so, but we knew that if we truly wanted to do our best. To, to see something through from the whiteboard all the way to the clinic, that the best way to do that would be through um, founding and, 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 and launching a, a uh, biotech startup company. I love it. I love it. I love it. You touched on things that I think about and I talk about, and this is what the podcast is about every single day. So you... You, you are a researcher, you have a background in PhD and sorry, you, you have a PhD and you're a researcher and, but you realize that to bring this idea to life, you have to create a startup company. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is something lots of researchers struggle, struggle with. I find like lots of researchers get stuck in writing papers, publishing, 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 publishing yep. until one of the papers maybe make it to the guidelines or no, but like, there isn't transition yep. to conceivable product. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Ruben. You know, that's something I've noticed as a researcher um, that, you know, you know, often, oftentimes, you know, it's grants and papers, as you mentioned, grants and papers, but publish the paper, write the next grant, publish the next the paper to get the next grant. But that's an endpoint. And, and, and so, you know, maybe uh, a faculty investigator will get to the point where they say, okay, you know, we're, we, we really want to get this to market. And so, you know, they'll file a patent application, but, uh, you know, un unless there's a true uh, a business lead, I, I, I think within the research program who can found co-found the company that truly understands the nuts and bolts of exactly and has the expertise of exactly what's going on and exactly how to optimize something to perform, you know, the proof of concept research, we, we that's, that does, is certainly at the academic center, right? But once it gets to the point of applied research, and you have to you have to translate that out of the out of the university um, because that that's where the, the the true support will come in form of investment dollars in in the form of 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 uh, um, um, in the form of prospective clients as well uh, at the in the biopharmaceutical interest in industry 
who can truly have the revenue and the resources to partner with you and, and drive something forward. Then ultimately that that entity could be either the sub-licensee, if it's a collaborative opportunity uh, that you're engaging in. That's what we're doing right now in our in our uh, DNA Nanobots, our startup company, um, you know, actively looking for prospective clients to partner with them and 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 to help uh, them make their medicine better, uh, work to work better in a more targetable um, manner. And 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 so ultimately could lead the sub licensees, uh, sub license agreements, uh, as well as acquisitions, right? And so you know, in order to truly move something past the proof of concept stage. Um, to the applied research stage, in my opinion, it certainly uh, it needs to be translated out of the university setting. Can I ask you, and if if you feel not comfortable, it's okay, we can skip this question, but like, sure. how was the transition from academia to the real, to the business world, to the startup world? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's been, you know, certainly the most exciting part of this journey, uh, Rupin. Let me tell you, I, I uh, uh, got, got really got the itch. I got an itch to do do a startup company. I you know I I I kind of had a feeling um, as a postdoctoral researcher that you know being a faculty member wasn't wasn't for me. Um, I don't know if that were just the stress of trying to 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 get tenure, um, grant writing all the time, and all the stressors that, that that come with being a junior faculty member or not. But but ultimately, what I wanted to do is 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 truly do everything I could do to move a technology from the whiteboard and proof of concept laboratory setting. Onto the applied research and preclinical, true preclinical development, um, and 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 get something all the way to investigational new drug filing and first in humans clinical trials, and 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 I thought that the best way to do that would be to you know serve the biopharmaceutical community. Not only do we have a, a pipeline of therapeutics that we're currently developing, um, we have an indication, a targeted drug delivery uh, device for AML, um, a cancer vaccine for melanoma, and ultimately we're starting to develop a, a pipeline where we have non-viral gene, uh, targeted gene delivery devices for rare disease. <clears throat> and so it, it, it really, I, I just, I, I had to do this. I just got an itch, itch for it. I, I, I that, that I wanted to you know, see something through and, and I, I, and I've learned in the transition from the academic world, uh, to the business world, that certainly if you want to be ultimately controlling as much as, as you can, in terms of the developmental pipeline, the strategy, the exact experiments that need to be done, um, then, you know, the, the, the startup, uh, biotech startup world is is the way to go uh it is a very challenging world right um and many challenges that that uh you know the first time i pitched this idea just to a faculty member when you know with a few students that were colleagues of mine and myself um he said he looked at me and in, in us and said you'll be starving in a year with this business model you, you guys don't have anything and what he was getting at is and and looking back you know that frustrated us at the time that was back in 2014 um but we didn't have any intellectual property. We didn't have any patent applications that were filed. And so securing intellectual property was a major challenge for us. And, and it really, we took that feedback and we knew that if we wanted to get our technology out of the university setting, we had to secure, we had to secure IP. We, we, we had to file patent applications um, and develop an intellectual property portfolio. Um, and certainly, but the true common thread challenge that we've seen, not only from our tech transfer office, you know, drug development institutes within our university, et cetera, et cetera, and reviewers that the hardest part of all of this was convincing people, key opinion leaders, that what we had was something of value. That that was the, and, and still is really, the major challenge 
um, that we faced. And in, in order to get over that challenge, um, it's so important to develop a team of individuals that not only believe in the potential of the technology that's being developed or the therapeutic that's being developed, um, but also the team that's behind it. And, and if I've learned anything throughout this process, I've learned that you, you, you really have to build a very strong team um, in order to convince folks, um, because otherwise it's, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. And of course, data speaks for itself as well. So not only you know a, a strong team, but also doing the, the, the key proof of concept experiments that'll de-risk the technology um, for investors as well. Um, and in addition, Amazing. in addition to that, uh, intellectual property team, uh, the next big thing, especially in the business world, uh, to, to really convince investors that you have something of value, you have to confirm that there's a, there is a large unmet market need. Um, that is something that I've learned. Uh, and we've, uh, we've been through a series of of I-Corps, Innovation Corps programs, not only at the uh, the state level I-Corps at Ohio, um, but also the NSF. Uh, the NSF has a national program where it's really like an entrepreneurial training system for academics and scientists in the STEM field that ultimately want to become entrepreneurs. Um, of course, we have not gone to business school. It's for me, it's been, you know, on the job training. Um, but certainly, you know, finding that, that, uh, unmet need, the unmet market need is something that's so important and you have to get out and talk to the market. You have to talk to people. Um, that's the only way if it, that's, the, that's one of the big disconnects, I think in the academic community, we always thought, oh, we have the best X, Y, Z, you know, whatever that is, if therapeutic, or we have the best diagnostic, we have the best platform, but unless you go out into the real world, people who are, you know, willing to spend millions upon hundreds of millions of dollars, a billion dollars to develop a drug or more, right? 1.5 to $2 billion, then you have to get that feedback from those people, um, the people that have the resources, the people who've been in, you know, in in the in the private sector developing, you know, these therapeutics, developing these the med technologies, diagnostic, what have you. Um, that that's truly, you know, one of the things that I've seen that you have to have when you go talk to investors is is do you one is there a market and two do you know who your customers are right and so those are two major things that I've learned throughout this process no doubt. This episode is brought to you by Mesh AI. Mesh AI is a scheduling software for healthcare workers, including medical students, residents, physicians, and nurses. It alleviates administrative burden by leveraging AI algorithms for scheduling shifts. Mesh AI automates the creation of equitable schedules, efficiently assigns the most suitable staff for each shift, and facilitate easy shift trading among healthcare professionals. Mesh AI is more than just a scheduling tool. It's specifically designed to cater to the unique training requirements of each residency program. By integrating advanced features, it not only manages the schedules, but also supports the specialized training needs of healthcare professionals ensuring that the training needs of each residency program are met. You, you touched upon very interesting things and like you, and I, I, I saw a common theme, convincing people to be your team member, convincing investors, convincing, 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 and building teams. Yep. So let's say like I'm an academic person doing my PhD, I have a great idea. Yep. I woke up one day, I listened to this podcast. Right. Where, 
would you do? What, what would you say to the younger self of you, the, the younger version of you, how to start building teams and convince them to work with you to achieve your dream? Absolutely. No, great question, Rupin. I appreciate that. So, you know, certainly the first thing I would do, you know, as a trainee, as a PhD student, as a postdoc, if I have a new idea, um, a testable idea, have some data to support it and so forth, I would just run to my faculty member, my PI, uh, and say, I believe that this is commercially viable. Uh, do you agree with me? And and hopefully the answer is yes. And at that point, you know, the second step would be to engage with your technology and commercialization office. You know, a, a relationship has to develop over time with a licensing manager within, you know, your university's um, tech transfer office. And so, again, that goes to the convincing part. You know, you'll have a series of meetings and you'll do an invention disclosure um, and you'll meet with your tech, your, 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 your technology licensing manager multiple times throughout the process um, of, of filing a patent application. But ultimately, in order to get, you know, an idea out into the real world, out so an investor can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars or more in, in, in to get the idea off the ground, you have to have intellectual property protection. Um, and the way to do that is by really just not being afraid to reach out and talk to people, um, you know, like talk to your faculty member often about your, your dreams, talk to your licensing manager. And the next key piece that that is is certainly in, in the puzzle for us is once you get a technology uh, patent application filed, the next key piece is to engage a business lead. So somebody that that really has know-how in the biotech space to license technology out of a university setting, right? Somebody that served in in, in as a biotech uh, CEO uh, before, at least in in the C-suite as a chief, you know, science officer, um, et, et cetera, and and that also is a key piece. So it's really building in uh, two things: bu building, you know, a team, and then really educating uh yourselves in in the business uh biotech you know world um you know even pursuing an mba i think is a great idea um as well uh, i know it's more school and so forth and for for me it's been on the job training but certainly i've seen that there's certain critical pieces that that go you know through the through the pipeline of of getting an idea um in the laboratory actually out into the real world and certainly starts with you know, relationships between your pi licensing manager and business lead because it's your business lead who will you know serve as your virtual CEO you don't have any funding right so you're essentially a shell company you don't have any funds um, but you can file an LLC in Ohio for you know ninety nine dollars I'm sure it's something similar in in, in Michigan where you are Rupin. Um, but that that's just to to form a company right but to actually launch operations get pre-seed level funding um, and, and go out and engage investors, you'll need to license the technology out of the university. So the IP positions, the patent applications, the portfolio, and that's your business lead. Your business lead will you know, be the, the point person in their relationship with your licensing manager and you know, other key opinion leaders within the, the technology and commercialization office at the, at the university. So um, at that point, you know, you'll, you'll hopefully get good feedback uh, from your, licensing manager you're you're in and, and, and oftentimes you won't sit in the, the negotiations because there's a conflict of interest likely you still have an appointment within the university um you know maybe you'll have plans to go half time at the university 51% if you want to write sbirs you know it's in your company and so forth um those are small business innovative research grants um but 
uh, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's the business lead getting the license. Once the license is in place, you can then approach investors. Um, you're going to look for early stage, high risk, high reward type of individuals. They're usually high net worth individuals. They're called angel investors. A lot of times they fly under the radar. They're, they're maybe not, you know, uh, uh, publicizing what they do and so forth. And uh, usually you'll, you'll network in um, at somehow. So it's to, to the early stage investors, it's really important just to keep having conversations uh, with, with, with key people um, in you know, the university's entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem. I love it. I love it. This 10 minutes were full of lessons. I love it. This is very, very, and, and lots of food for the thought for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to understand more about the company. So, oh, sure. uh, yeah. w- w- did, like the in the context of like the buzz world around like nanotechnology, we hear this a lot. Like, um, what do you think? Let's say I'm like an investor, or there is an investor listening here. Like, mm-hmm. what does the or, or how does DNA nanobots distinguish itself from others in the field? Sure. Yeah, a great, great question there. Um, gosh, I think it would, in one word, I, I would say it goes to control. Um, you know, uh, you know, our, one of our leading benchmark technologies that we're always competing against is the liposomal formulation, right? And so, <clears throat> where we stand out, and I think where the the true power and the potential of, of DNA nanobots to deliver medicine to ultimately save lives is one. The unprecedented programmability and control in terms of number and placement of not only targeting the molecules to take the delivery system to disease cells um, and and therapeutic payloads, but two, the uniformity of a constructed targeted drug delivery platform critical in the drug development process. You know, when I talk to folks often, you know, every time I'm at a liposomal talk, I'll, I'll, I'll ask the presenter. Um, you know, if you could estimate, you know, how many drug molecules are in one liposome and often they give a range. Um, they say it's difficult to quantify. Uh, it's, it, and it's true. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very true. They're kind of unstructured, um, not a uniform size. And that ultimately leads to limitations and off target effects that we don't want. Right. Like ultimately in targeted drug delivery, we want a, a low dose to achieve maximum efficacy um, with a minimal uh, off-target toxic effect, right? And so that that's the ultimate goal. And so we can achieve, in, in, in contrast, in, in the DNA nanobot system, if we want a single targeting molecule on one edge of, say, a rod-shaped structure, we can achieve that. Uh, if we want two on one edge of a rod-shaped structure molecules, we can do that. Um, if we, we can, you know, load them in the center, we can load them on the side and, and it's complementary base pairing that allows us to do that. So we have a certain level of control that's unprecedented um, in, 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 in terms of molecular functionality that cannot be achieved with liposomal technology. Um, and so that's where I think we distinguish ourselves. Uh, you can think of it a lot like Rupin, like Lego pieces. Um, we can piece, you know, a, a, a you know, a two or, 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 or three, you know, length Lego piece exactly where we want, you know, on a, on a larger rod shaped structure. Um, we can do the same thing, uh, with, with, with our DNA nanobot technology. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's really what I think distinguishes us from, you know, other benchmarks is, is the control, uh, and, and the same thing with the drug payload. So, 
For example, uh, we have a tunable drug loading device where we can achieve a 50% loading. And we know that that means if our device is, uh, you know, the, the, a, a, a certain base pairs, let's say if it's 7,200 base pairs, and it's 50% loaded, then, then, then we know that roughly, you know, 3,500 or so single drug molecules are within one device on average. And so we can estimate that uh, in, in, in a much more um, um, accurate fashion compared to our, our benchmarks, the liposomal. I love it. Yeah. So, so also, again, for those people like who don't know what liposomal uh, means, like in, sure. in simple words, um, or you can go ahead and explain it. Like what, yeah. what, what is liposomal technology? Because I'm yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, liposomal, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Rupert. So yeah, liposomes are really, you can almost think of them uh, similar to bubbles. Um, they're a phospholipid bilayer, much like a cell um, that, 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 you know, has a, a, a charged residue and a, and a nonpolar or a, a fatty residue. Um, hydrophobic residue, and what what folks do is they they use the the this micelle or uh, you know a, a bubble, if you will, to encapsulate a certain amount of of small molecule drug payload, um, and ultimately what that does is is and it's been shown you know to work to work well and so forth and in the clinic there there are. Uh, however, side effects that 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 prevent more widespread use and 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 uh, un, un, unpredictable drug release rates is another thing. That's another area that distinguishes us is our our uh, drug release rate is very predictable in contrast to uh, liposomal formulations. And so, but certainly, yeah, small bubbles they're really difficult to control a uniform size and in a uniform uh, drug payload within each uh, liposome. Gotcha, gotcha. So. Yeah. Um, and now, like, we can't do an any episode podcast without talking about AI. Where do you see artificial intelligence uh, fitting with this uh, technology or with DNA nanobots? And uh, how do you think that AI can accelerate the development of this technology? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Um, you know, AI is coming to the forefront of everything, right, in our lives. And, and, and uh, you know, in, in DNA nanomedicine, it's it's no exception. Um, I, I, I would predict that AI could absolutely feed right into our workflow in terms of custom programmable targeted drug delivery devices for the treatment of cancer, right? For, for an example, if, if AI can provide us with uh, you know the 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 most accurate combination based on epidemiological data, treatment outcomes, clinical trial data, what have you. If AI can provide us with the most appropriate combination of let's say two or three therapeutics, so I think in terms of AML, so you think of a you know a, a donorubicin and cytarabine, let's say, and you know j just two different types of molecules. Um, not only that, but based on an individual patient profile. If they have some kind of target molecule that's elevated on only you know cancer cells in that particular patient, then that gives us exactly what we need for a platform drug delivery system. You know, we can design a device with you know with with, with two and combinatorial therapy and all on a targeted device, and we can design, construct, and load our nanobot for you know not only precision medicine in the context of targeted drug delivery, but for personalized care. And it's AI that would give us that information, Rupin, I think, as quickly as possible. And so, you know, another one of the benefits of our technology is that we can create these DNA nanobots in, in a matter of, of seconds. It's it's just simple Watson Crick base pairing at C, you know, A to G, C to T, right? Um, and and we can um 
we 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 can we can we can do this um, very quickly. We can decorate the molecules, load the molecules, um, the A to T, C to G, it, 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 very very quickly in just a matter of of, of hours. We can we can uh, um, decorate you know, appropriately. So we are talking about devices, and like I think people when we talk about device, we think about like a huge factory, and there's like a production line, and they're yeah. like. But like this is more on the molecular level. So yeah. for someone who never been in the lab, how would you explain? Because like this is not something that everyone knows about it. And I, I really love the technology. I want people to hear more about it. Like if yeah. you if how do you design a DNA device? Sure. Yeah, great question. So we we use uh, a computer assisted design software program uh, called CAD Nano. Um, and it's also been <clears throat> more user-friendly uh, technology that's came out of Professor Carlos Castro's group, <clears throat> excuse me, called Magic DNA uh, as well. <clears throat> and these are uh, custom-designed uh, CAD software programs that that really that allow the uh, DNA origami expert uh, to 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 build these these guys. And and, and let's say. Let's say you know we want to design something simple like a, a plate, like a, a you know a single layer plate. Uh, the first step we would do is approximate what that shape would look like in terms of cylinders, where each cylinder is represented of uh, by a double um, a, a double helix of, of DNA. And so how how we do the routing then we we, we use what's called a scaffold. Um, and the sca it's scaffolded DNA origami, meaning we begin with a single-stranded loop of DNA, and we'll route that that scaffold through the entire uh, approximated structure. And so the next thing that we do, once that's routed through the entire base of structure, we know the sequence. We use uh, M13, MP18 bacteriophage DNA uh, from ba it's, ba it's a bacteriophage genome as our as our backbone, if you will, or a scaffold of the structure. And then we can use that computer-assisted design software to populate the entire uh, the 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 entire reverse complement sequence of uh, our starting material of our scaffold. Um, once we do that, we make them to an optimal length, uh, which is thirty to fifty bases in length, um, and and then we just simply read out the reverse complement sequence, and then order a series of oligonucleotides. And once the oligonucleotides come in, we have our purified circular. DNA, we put the two components together, we heat the reaction, we slowly cool the reaction, and then based on long range molecular interaction, simple base pairing, you know, A to T, C to G, uh, we will form a predefined shape structure at the nanoscale. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, are there any uses currently, Is are, are nanobots commercially used in currently in treating diseases of cancers? Sure. So, to to the best of my knowledge, no. Um, I, I we are as a as a field really starting now uh, to move out of the proof of concept phase of research um, to the applied research uh, phase. So, in terms of therapeutics, we're in preclinical development. Uh, all uh, at this point, there's been you know a series of patent applications by our laboratory and others. Um, you know, over the last. 10 years in particular, that, that's really elevated in a very robust way. Um, and so now our applications are beginning to, you know, 
go through the applied research phase, go down the regulatory pathways. If it's a diagnostic device, you know, it'll be a likely a 510K regulatory route, um, you know, with the FDA comparison device and so forth. Um, if it's a therapeutic, you know, we'll, we'll go down the regulatory pathway that's investigational new drug um, with the FDA. Uh, we'll, you know, satisfy all the pre um submission in inquiries and so forth related to you know, an IND and application, but ultimately to, to move towards a first in humans clinical trial. So to date, uh, no, it, we're, we're certainly out of the proof of concept phase now in the applied research phase. Gotcha. You mentioned the FDA and I always love to talk about them in every episode. Um, okay. I don't know where, where are you at right now in navigating relationship with the FDA and what, if not, if you're not, if you haven't started the relationship yet, like yep. what challenges do you anticipate? Right. Absolutely. Great question. So, you know, related to our, our diagnostic applications, we we've engaged uh, with regulatory experts, I, I guess, folks that engage with the FDA on, on a pretty regular basis, uh, both at the Ohio state university and in uh, the private sector. Um, so we've not yet engaged with, with them directly yet a little bit premature both with our diagnostic devices and our uh, therapeutic uh, devices as well um but certainly there there are folks out there that you know it, it is their expertise you know to help you know biotech uh, innovators um engage with the fda and and and, and really learn exactly what's needed in terms of uh you know a data uh profile um in order to present to the fda gotcha gotcha um we we talk we're talking about the biotech space and like um and one of the healthcare is hard but biotech is much harder why do you think it's very hard to innovate in this space sure no great question <laughs> you know i think about this all the time you know especially uh in, in our early stages um it and, and again uh Rupin, i think it goes back to convincing um you know the exactly right, it's, 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 it's scary like when, when whenever people hear medical yeah. device okay yeah. but whenever people yeah. hear biotech like no let's yeah. pause let's think about it it's like yeah. why people get scared when they hear the this word sure yeah no no i think it's you know one one, one thing it's it's new i you know i think folks are um you know very apprehensive at times to you know certainly uh, invest, you know, a lot, a, a lot of capital in particular, we're talking about investors into something new, um, unless it's been de-risked. Um, and, you know, I, I think anytime you have a new therapeutic, uh, people are going to want to know first and foremost, of course, is, is it effective, but is it safe? Right. Um, and, and so if the answer is no, then, or marginally, then, you know, you may, may need to make modifications and so forth and moving forward. But, you know, certainly it, it's so hard to innovate um, in, in the space because it's so hard to convince folks. Uh, if you're, you know, we were mentioning that there's a, a grant uh, mechanism called the Small Business Innovative Research Grant Mechanism through the NIH as well as the NSF. Um, and it's really difficult to convince uh, reviewers uh, of these, of our applications that, you know, what we're proposing is, you know, it, it has merit and in, in whether or not it's, it's certainly going to work. Right. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's been tricky. Uh, and now in terms of investors, they're going to want to know, you know, what, what, it, if, it, it, if, if there is a market need uh, for, for this technology, especially at the institutional level. And one thing 
you know, with, 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 with trying not to go on a rant and so forth, but early stage companies, they really struggle in terms of finding um, the right investor. Uh, and, and when they approach institutional level funding, like uh, any kind of, you know, venture capital firms and so forth, even those that say that they're early stage, um, you know, you say the word platform and, and they're going to cringe a little bit. And I think the reason is that they view that as, as, as a group that's unfocused. Um, that's one of the key feedbacks that we've gotten uh, from, you know, institutional funders is, you know, platform not focused. And, and our response to that is, well, what, 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 what do we do? We develop targeted drug delivery devices. We do this in the precision medicine space uh, for chemotherapeutic delivery. We do this in the vaccine space for you know, targeting to certain immune cells. And now we're developing a targeted gene therapy approach, right? So targeted delivery is our common thread. So we would say, no, we are focused. <laughs> and so it's the dialogue that, that you know, comes with time. Um, and also another thing that, that's, that's tricky for early stage is unless you're a post-revenue company, unless, um, unless you're, you know, you know, you have clients, you have customers, um, institutional folks, you know, sometimes won't even talk to you, you know, unless they know your, your background, your story and so forth. But, uh, so yeah, certainly it's, it's, it's the, the, the hardest part again is, is, uh, convincing, you know, reviewers, investors, especially institutional level investors or other key opinion leaders that you have something of value, not only does it work, but there's a market you know, a large unmet market need for that. And so now we are starting to change some minds, I think of, of, investors, um, one of our angel investors in particular, we have to keep, you know, convincing them hit technical milestones, hit business milestones in order for them to keep uh, helping us and keep supporting our efforts, right? But, you know, one of our recent bright spots certainly is is our marketing campaign. Um, our go-to-market strategy is to partner uh, with biopharmaceutical uh, companies and, 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 and help uh, them create a, a more effective device, uh, target that target and, you know, more targeted capabilities, less off-target side effects. And, and we use this campaign um, led by uh, HyperSocial is the name of it. And uh, it's, uh, you know, certainly happy to, you know, share the website and so forth. But it's a phenomenal tool. It's a link, LinkedIn-based campaign that allows, um, the, the, that allows folks in the biotech startup space uh, to reach out uh, to, uh, reach out to 800 prospective clients per month. Um, it's an incredible uh, system that they use. Uh, they'll, you know, you give them, you know, certain keywords and so forth, um, know about what you're looking for, the areas of, of, of medicine that you're interested in um, and what you do and so forth. Uh, and then the the certain positions of the individuals that you're, you're you're hoping to contact. If it's a business lead or a you know business development person, a chief science officer, a chief executive officer, etc., they will help you um, have a LinkedIn-based marketing campaign. You know, the using uh, AI that ultimately automatic system that that reaches out to people. And so, you know, to date, uh, we've reached out to over fifteen hundred people, um, and oh, wow. we have a fifty-one percent connection rate since mid-November. Um, and so, you know, this, this marketing is just, it, it, it's just fantastic because certainly business and, and I, I would also say to colleagues out there just getting started, you know, it, it, business happens on LinkedIn. There's no doubt about it. Um, that, I that agree. is, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, it, the, uh, you know, a, a targeted marketing campaign where, you know, you're reaching out to lots and lots and lots of individuals, 
not only through the prospective clients, but also through prospective investors, uh, you can also use a similar approach, which we're starting to navigate as well. So um, that's 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 been super helpful for us. Um, you know, in a matter of you know eight weeks, we you know we we have you know we've talked to gosh probably twenty about twenty five companies now, um, and 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 just you know even over the holidays and so forth, uh, they've been responsive. It's a great system um, for for marketing, no doubt about it. So. I love it. I love it. And we are talking actually just before the last question. We touched base on upon like lots of things, and you you mentioned like you applied for grants and like uh, and you understand the technology and yeah. uh, you know how to write papers, you know how to convince people because like doing research is convincing is like letting people believe in your idea and your results. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when we build teams, and this is something we didn't talk about, and maybe we can now talk about it. Like, sure. yeah. I think the, the rationale is always you have to hire your weaknesses. You have to find people, like, it, it doesn't make sense for you. you. You go find another person who knows the technology very well. Um, mm -hmm. And you mentioned and you talked about finding someone who understands the business part. Like if mm -hmm. I want to start a company today and I have a background in academia, mm -hmm. who are the team members I should reach out to and make sure they are on my side? Sure. Absolutely. Great question. Um, so yeah, it certainly would depend on the field and so forth, but you want to have, if you're an academic, if you're a principal investigator, let's say, and you want to be involved with a startup company, but you have an academic appointment, um, it, it, it's it's really, really valuable uh, to have somebody in your lab that has co-developed the technology with you. That somebody that has a technical expertise, A, is, is super important. So in our case, we we have, you know, chief uh, technology officer, Patrick Halley is his name. He's been a phenomenal partner uh, to me for the last um 11 years now trying to drive our, 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 you know, make this dream come true of starting this company. And, you know, what, what, what Patrick is so good at is, you know, not only, you know, does he have come with a, with a business background um, he's worked in finance, he's worked in all different kinds of sectors and so forth uh, including culinary arts and financing. And he has a portfolio type of career, but it's, it's, it's really, like you said, it, it it's working with people who have complementary skill sets um, so, you know, one, a technical expert, uh, two, um, like myself, I, I, I'm, you know, not, not, uh, too shy when it comes to going out and talking to individuals, right. The, you know, the convincing part, and, you know, it's all about relationships. It's all about, you know, getting, getting to know a prospective investor, prospective client and so forth. Um, and, and, and also, you know, you want, you want someone, uh, that is, is able to help, uh, you, determine quickly, you know, whether or not there's an unmet need in the marketplace. They say fail fast, right? And so having a business lead who has a knowledge base of the market that you're looking to enter uh, with your technology uh, is, is so important. Um, so you need, not only do you need a strong, you know, technical team and a technology that works, but you also have to have a, a very driven business lead who not only uh, is is exceptionally good at convincing people um, that the the technology in question is of value, but also someone that can engage the marketplace and 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 lead a marketing campaign that allows the the, the technical folks to succeed. And and that certainly is the 
you know, the complementary technical and, and business pieces that have to merge together. And often, you know, what we're seeing is the, the business folks sometimes tell us in, you know, workshops and so forth, the technical people not to use lingo, not to use jargon and apologies if I, you know, certainly I know I have, and I'm glad you've, you've helped me through roof and, 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 you know, break things down to a more uh, clear level. Um, but, you know, business folks use their own jargon. And so you have to look at jargon and, you know, as, as technical <laughs> folks, you know, as you're, as you're, uh, as, as you're progressing. And so, but certainly I, you know, I think, really, you know, complementary skill sets, you're, you're exactly right. It, I, I think it comes to, you know, you want to hire people that are smarter than you in certain areas, right? Um, and, and and you know, that working together um, a, a, as a team where, where people are excel, you know, at what they're, what they're great at. And, and, and then, you know, they'll, they'll work with their teammates um, to get feedback and, 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 and how to address, you know, whatever's there, but complementary skill sets in a, in a, wonderful harmonious relationship between you know the technical founders and a business lead is so important um to have i love it so, last question yeah why are we doing this what drives you oh my goodness uh it, in in it to save lives i mean plain and simple to save lives to improve the quality of life uh you know it's it's been a dream of mine ever since you know on my undergrad days when i was looking you know, what career route to go down um, is to fight disease behind the scenes. And if I'm involved on, on, you know, one team that ultimately drives, you know, a therapeutic uh, or, or, or a targeted delivery system or what have you all the way to the clinic to get approval, to actually save lives, then I've done my job. And, and, and I really think with this career track, I I'm, I'm, I'm able to, oversee, uh, at least so far, I've been able to oversee the entire process, right? But short, in short, it's to save lives. We talk about this every day. Um, you know, it was our effort from, you know, drawing back on the whiteboard back in 2013, we we're drawing our little, you know, our, our Trojan horse ideas, what we call our, our device, our targeted delivery system um, to the clinic. And, and ultimately, it's to save lives and, and improve the quality of life. So no doubt about it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I, I really appreciate you being here and I learned a lot. I, I, I learned a lot. Even the technology is still new for me and I sure. learned a lot from you today. Awesome, Rupin. Well, yeah, I can't thank you enough. Um, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity and, and, and it was a great discussion and thank you for your questions. And I think it's great what you're doing and you're empowering folks out there. And, you know, I'm also happy to uh, engage with, with anyone, you know, at any time. So please, you know, feel free to um, you know, share contact information, um, you know, especially from students, you know, I, I, I also, I didn't mention, but, but I also helped co-develop a, a, uh, undergraduate entrepreneurial training program and, and a wet lab experience for underrepresented minority students. And, um, that, that has been, you know, something that I'm really passionate about is helping others, uh, you know, succeed. So. I love it. All the links that lead to you will be down in the comments so make Great. sure people everyone who's listening to this check the comments check the descriptions uh, linkedin and website and all the materials that we talked about it's going to be in the description below awesome Excellent. thank you so Thanks, much Christian. absolutely